0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. I want to read the verse that we're working from this morning, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to drive right into the message. It comes from Micah chapter 6, verse 8, and it says this, He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Father God, this morning, we acknowledge once again your presence in this place. Uh, Lord, thank you that you, the creator of the universe, would desire to be here with us this morning. And it's even hard for us to fathom, Lord, to to imagine, but yet you are. You are right here. You have been living within our praises as we've lifted you up. And we know that that's not going to stop, that you continue to be with us. Your word says you never leave us, you never forsake us. This morning, we ask that um, as we look to your word, that by a work of your Holy Spirit that you would transform our hearts so that we can grow to become like you as we look to Jesus. And so, Father God, do a work in us, and so that when we leave this place, that we might be different than when we came. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and we all said together, Amen. 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 Well, this week I read the story of a businessman who needed a professional uh, photograph for his work, kind of like a headshot. And so he made an appointment with a photographer. Um, he went into the appointment and um, uh, sat for the, for the photograph to be made. And um, afterwards, the, the photographer brought him a, you know, he said, here's, here's your photograph. And when the businessman looked at it, he was disgusted. And he said, this photo does not do me justice. And the photographer quickly said, well, with a face like yours, you don't need justice. You need mercy. <laughs> I want you to hold on to that word Mercy. Hold on to that word mercy for just a moment, okay? We're going to come back around to it. Uh, last week, we launched into a new series. It's called What God Wants. It's taken from Micah chapter 6, verse 8, the verse I just read. And as we launched into that series, we talked about the fact that in our faith journey, we have to understand that it is a process, that we involve ourselves in a process of spiritual growth. And what happens in that process of spiritual growth is that um, we uh, submit ourselves to a work of the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit works in our life, um, the the Holy Spirit convicts, not condemns, but convicts us of dark places uh, within our heart and within our soul. And when that happens... Uh, the goal is is that we would come into agreement with what the Holy Spirit is revealing again, not in shame, not in condemnation, but thankful that the Holy Spirit has shown us because we say, "Holy Spirit, I agree, and now I ask that you would help me work out those places in my heart, those dark places. And that's really the process we talked about last week that we are called to work out our salvation on a daily basis. Well, we understand that when we talk about working out our salvation, it has nothing to do with gaining salvation. It's nothing about how we get salvation, but instead it's really about spiritual transformation. That we allow the Holy Spirit to show us those places in our heart. Uh, the Holy Spirit convicts. We submit those in repentance to the Lord and then what we expect is that there's a change that happens. We begin to work those things out in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And what it leads to is spiritual maturity. And that's, that's what our faith journey is about. We're continually working to the process of spiritual maturity, becoming like Jesus as we're transformed into his image. We um, talked about the fact that we're most effective in this process when we're willing to ask ourselves continuously, Uh, some questions. And the questions are things like this. God, what should my faith journey look like? God, what is it that you require of me? When I look to your word, will you show me? What is it that you require of me? Or simply put, God, what do you want? What do you want for me? And that's not like with an attitude. What do you want, God? But instead, it's God, I ask sincerely, what do you want from me? What should my life look like? And so last week as we looked to Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, Micah made it very obvious. He told us three things. What does God require? First, that we would act justly. The second thing he said was that we would love, what's the word you've been holding on to? Mercy, that we would love mercy. And then the third thing that God requires is that we would walk Humbly with him. So last week we focused on what does it mean to act justly. What does that look like? And so uh, we determined that in order to understand what it means to act justly, we really have to understand the justice of God. That God is a just God. That that is a uh, an intrinsic attribute to His nature. It's who God is. That God is fair and impartial in his judgment of all people. He te- treats all of his creation fairly. And then we we actually had an opportunity yesterday as a church to, to live that out, to work it out, uh, doing acts of justice. Um, some of you were there, uh, but uh, Cammie and I joined a large group of people from Grace Covenant, and we went to Love Life Charlotte. And I have to tell you, I don't know if you've ever been before, but what a life-changing uh situation that we involved ourselves in and also to see a simple act of justice that as we prayed and that's all we did we didn't protest against abortion we had no signs we simply had a prayer assignment and we very silently while no one was talking only praying we we walked and we prayed And we know that yesterday there were 11 women who had appointments at the abortion clinic. The abortion clinic is the largest abortion clinic in the southeast region. There were 11 women that had uh, uh, appointments. So we didn't pray in condemnation against them, but we prayed that they would sense the Holy Spirit. And statistics have shown since the Love Life Charlotte has been going is that 50% of the women who have changed their mind have actually been in the clinic waiting for their appointment and something happens and they come out and then they go and they have the ultrasound through the truck that's there for them to have. And they and as a result, lives have been saved. And it's all because of an act of justice through prayer, where through prayer we were standing for the needs of the unborn. And that's what it's about. It's standing for the needs. So today we want to take time to talk about God's mercy and what does it mean to love mercy. Ultimately, when we leave, we want to know what it means to love mercy. But I'm convinced that before we can really understand what it means to love mercy, that we have to understand the mercy of God. We have to understand God as a merciful God. Um, just as justice is an attribute that's intrinsic to God's nature, so is mercy. Scripture tells us that one of the aspects of God's nature is that God is a merciful God. It's who He is. Did you notice, I didn't say that God does mercy, but instead I said, God is merciful. If we were to limit God to acts of mercy, if I were to just simply say, you know, God is a merciful God and he does acts of mercy, while that's true, if we limit him to just being a God who does acts of mercy, what it could lead to is a conclusion that um, God has a limited res- reservoir of mercy, that uh, somehow we could live in fear. What if he runs out? What if he doesn't have enough mercy for me? Or what if God's tired one day and, and so he says, Paul, I'm not going to be merciful for you today because I'm tired and I want to go take a nap. Or, or, or what, if, what if he's just not consistent in his mercy? But we know that's not the case. Actually, God's mercy is inexhaustible. It never runs out. It never gives out. And how do we know that? So how do you know that, Pastor? Because the Bible the Bible very clearly tells us. I want to read three passages of Scripture to you that prove this. The first is in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 to 23. And it says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Listen to this. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That tells me he doesn't have a limited reservoir that God uh, he, he every day when we come before God he has new mercies for us the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercy never ever 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 comes to an end no matter what we've done he still has mercy Psalm 145 verses 8 and 9 says the Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and listen to this, and His mercy is over all He has made. His mercy actually reigns over us. That's how He rules and reigns as a God. He is a merciful God. And then Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, listen to this, but God, being rich in mercy... But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. In other words, God's mercy is so great that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how great his mercy is. So I said in order to understand what it means to love mercy, we need to uh, understand the mercy of God. So what I want to do over the next few minutes, I want to give you four truths that will help us better understand God's mercy. They're not in your teaching notes. You've learned by now I'm a little notorious for that. I require you to write a little bit. So I'm going to give you four truths. I promise I'll come back to the fill-ins at the end. But um, just to help us understand uh, what mercy is and what it means to love mercy. And here's the first truth. If we begin with just a general definition of mercy, if you were to go to the dictionary, it would tell us that mercy is compassionate treatment to those in distress. Mercy is compassionate treatment to those in distress. And here's a real simple illustration. It's not a scriptural illustration, but it'll ring true with you. Um, A husband bought his wife a brand new car. One day she was driving the car, And as she was driving, she had a wreck. She was immediately concerned for herself. Do I have any injuries? Am I okay? And she was. But from that, then her thoughts went to, oh my goodness, how is my husband going to react when he finds out that I've wrecked the car? What is he going to say? She reached into the glove compartment to pull out the insurance papers and she noticed that there was a sticky note on top of the insurance papers and this is what it said. Dear, because you need these papers, I want you to know I love you, not the car. That's mercy. That's mercy. Some of your wives are saying to your husbands, would you go write that note (laughs) for me just in case? Here's a second truth about mercy. Mercy can be defined as a blessing that is an act of divine faith, favor. And a, 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 it's a blessing that is an act of divine favor. When we read throughout the Gospels, we find an ongoing narrative of the mercy of God at work through the ministry of Jesus. Here's a few of the stories. A, uh, a blind man... Calls out to Jesus, and he says, "Jesus, have mercy on me." A mother, a Canaanite woman, a mother, sees Jesus, and she says, "Jesus, my daughter is demon possessed, and she's suffering." Jesus, have mercy on my daughter. And then we read about a father who calls out to Jesus: and says, "Jesus, my son is suffering from seizures." Jesus, have mercy. On my son. We read about blind Bartimaeus. And blind Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is coming. And he says, Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. And then we read yet another, a blind beggar. Who hears that Jesus is coming. And he calls out and he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And in every situation. Here's what we know. Jesus listened. And he responded, and he responded with mercy. He met each one of those people at their point of need, and he met them with mercy. He heard their cry. He heard their plea for mercy, and he responded, and he healed them. He healed their children. This is what it says for us, very personal application. These stories tell us that God is always faithful. That when you find yourself in a situation, like we said earlier, God, I need you. When we're calling out to God and we say, God, I need you, we're calling out and we say, God, have mercy on this situation. Have mercy on me. And every time that you and I call out to God and we say, God, have mercy. I don't know what to do. I need your help. Only you can help. Every time he responds. And he meets us at our point of need through mercy. Now I have to say, God doesn't always answer the way we think he should, right? But that doesn't mean he's not a merciful God. And God's timing is not always in the timing that we would desire. But that doesn't mean that he's not a merciful God. every time we call out to God and we say, God, have mercy, have mercy on me. He works in our behalf. Here's the third truth I want to give you about mercy God's mercy directs him to forge a relationship with people who absolutely do not deserve to be in relationship with him. God's mercy directs him to forge a relationship with people who absolutely, in the natural, do not deserve to have a relationship with him. Again, when you look through the gospel narratives, here's a few. Mary Magdalene, very sinful woman, in the natural, she did not deserve to have a relationship with Jesus. Zacchaeus. You know, we sing about Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man. was He climbed up in a sycamore tree. And it's such a cute Bible story. Zacchaeus was a sinner. He, he was a notorious man. Yeah, he was probably cute and little. But he was separated from God because of his sin. Or then there's... Uh, Matthew, the tax collector. Tax collectors were despised and they were sinful. They distorted money. Or how about this? The woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus accepted her and he forgave her of her sin. Not any one of these people in the natural deserved to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, when we really think about mercy, here's what mercy is. Mercy is when God gives us what we don't deserve. It's when God gives us what we don't deserve. What none of those people deserved was a relationship with Him, but instead He reached out to them, He embraced them, He forgave them of their sin, and He welcomed them in. And that's what God does for us. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, you and I did not deserve to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you haven't entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, let me tell you this, in the natural, you don't deserve it. But in the supernatural realm of God, God has already made a way that He loved us while we were still sinners and that even before the foundation of the world, that He made a plan so that in His mercy man could be reconciled to Him despite our sin. How many of you, when you were growing up, hopefully none of you still play this game as grown-ups anymore, remember the old mercy game? Does anybody remember what I'm talking about, where you stand uh, face-to-face with another individual, and you lock hands, and you uh, make your wrist as rigid as you possibly can, and the goal of the game is that I... Uh, I, will cause, I will overpower you and I'm going to bend your wrist to such uh, uh, inflicting pain that you're going to fall on your knees and you're going to say, have mercy on me, Pastor Stan. If you played it, please tell me you're not still playing it. Aren't you glad that God doesn't enter into that game with us? He could because of our sin. And he could say, I'm going to give you exactly what you deserve. Death. I'm going to make you pay. I'm going to punish you. And when you call out for mercy, I'm not going to give it to you because you are a sinner. And that's not what God does. Instead, he looks on us with great love. And he says, I accept you just as you are. There's nothing that you can do that would separate you from me. Come to me. Even in your sin, that's exactly what God does. Listen, because God is merciful, we don't get what our sins deserve. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. What we deserved for our sin was death, but instead God gave us eternal life. Because God is merciful, we experience ongoing forgiveness as we humbly repent. Repentance has involved. I think that that's part of mercy. Is when we cry out for mercy, we're, we're submitting ourselves to that work of the Holy Spirit that's showing us the changes that need to be made. And we say, mercy, I repent. God, I offer these things to you. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. That's just what God does. And because of his, He's merciful, we live in and we live out the goodness of God. We live in the goodness of God and we live out the goodness of God. Psalm 23, verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. His mercy is inexhaustible. He follows us with mercy. Mercy is the way He deals with us. He never gives up on us. He never does. Here's the fourth truth. As a recipient of God's mercy, we are to compassionately respond to the needs of others. As a recipient of God's mercy, we are compassionately to respond to the needs of others. One of the greatest illustrations of this in Scripture is in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And in that passage, here's what we find. Um, a lawyer uh, he says an expert in the law so a lawyer comes to Jesus and he says what must I do to be saved and Jesus responds and he says love your love the lord your god with all your heart love your neighbor as yourself and um the the, the lawyer says well, well who is my neighbor you know just really who who is that and um he, he Jesus tells a story and it's a story that we know as the good samaritan and he says well there was a man who was on his way to Jericho, and he got beaten and then left to the side of the road. And one day, after, or shortly after, a, a priest came by. Surely a priest would help him, but when the priest saw him, the priest walked to the other side of the road. And then a Levite came. Surely a Levite would help him, but the Levite walked to the other side of the road. But then a Samaritan came, and Samaritans were despised by the Jews. They were unacceptable. They were unclean. He would, should have been the least one to even think about engaging and helping this man. But instead, the Samaritan, when he saw the man, he took care of him. He nursed him. He made sure he got to a place where he could be taken care of. He gave money to make sure that it could happen. And Jesus asked the, the 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 lawyer at the end of the story, he said, "Who do you think was the neighbor?" And the lawyer responds, and he says, "Well, of course, it was this. It was the one who showed mercy, the Samaritan." And Jesus said, "Go and do likewise." So, as recipients of mercy, and that applies to us as recipients of mercy, you and I are also so supposed to extend mercy to other people, but. When we think about these four truths, in light of these truths, what does that tell us about loving mercy? What, how, how do we know what it means to love mercy? Um, I read a story yesterday, and I share this with permission. It's about a couple in our church and their daughter. It's um, Thad and Crystal Clark's little girl. Um, uh, she posted on Facebook of all places yesterday. I, yeah, I was reading Facebook, I confess. Uh, as you all were, too, yesterday. Um because you got to keep up with the storm, right? Um, she said that she put their daughter Ava to bed, and she read her a story, and when she finished the story, she said, um, uh, good night, Ava, I love you. And she said, Ava, just lay there looking up at the ceiling. And she said, Ava, good night, I, I love you. And she said, Ava, just there still looking up at the ceiling. She goes, Ava, I told you I love you. She goes, I know, Mommy, but I'm just trying to figure out what really is love, And that's really the question that we're asking today. What does it mean to really love mercy? And I think that the answer, at least in part, is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, Paul, and depending on how you might have memorized this as a kid, I did King James. So he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that in view, and it's by the mercies of God, or in view of God's mercies, that you offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And the key phrase there is in view of God's mercy. If I want to know what it means to love mercy, then I've got to take that through the filter of God's mercy. I want to tell you a very personal story as I begin to close. Uh, I just very, I'll be very vulnerable with you. Uh, a personal story that was really the, the catalyst in me learning what it really means to love mercy. I always say you never know what goes on behind closed doors. You never know what's going on in a family. You never know what's going on in a home. When I was growing up, if you look from the outside in the Wilson household, you go, what a great family. Uh, I'm sure there are no problems there. Everything looks great. But when you came into the home, uh, if you had that opportunity to just peer into the home, what you found was a very dysfunctional family. My father was a very abusive man. He was physically abusive. He was verbally abusive. Um, I, uh, on multiple occasions, watched my father abuse my mother. I watched him try to kill her. I've watched my father hold a gun to her head. I've watched my father hold back a hammer ready to kill my mom. You want to know about mercy? As this was happening, my mom had been cooking dinner, and there was a pot of grease on the stove, and guess what? It caught fire. I think that was the mercy of God. Because everything had to stop to go put out the fire. My father uh, was a man, uh, he beat my mother. He was, very, he was very abusive to us verbally. My father violated me. And in that, something happened. I, I became a very angry young man. And that anger followed me into my young adulthood and then into my married life. And there was this, the scripture talks about a root of bitterness. There was a root of bitterness that was buried inside of me that caused me to actually manifest that anger as a rageaholic. Now, as you get to know me, you're going to find I'm a very peaceful man now. I, I, I kind of steady Eddie. I, I, you know, nothing really shakes me, but that's not how it always was. So what would happen is early on in our marriage, if I felt my buttons were pushed I became the rageaholic, and one day, in one of those fits of rage, I I never hurt my wife. I want to make sure everybody knows that, but she looked at me, and she said, this is not normal. You know what my response was? "Yes, Yes, it is. This is how everybody handles problems. She goes, trust me, this is not normal, and we've got to do something about it. And it was at that moment that the Holy Spirit was a catalyst, became the catalyst, that situation the Holy Spirit used as a catalyst in my life. And I had one of those moments where the Holy Spirit revealed, and I agreed. And I said, this is something I've got to work out, but I can only do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, will you help me? And we began a process. We began a process together, and slowly but surely, that root of bitterness began to be out, But I want to tell you why. There was one key, and it's that I learned to forgive my father. And trust me, that wasn't easy to do. You see, I was playing the mercy game with my father. And in the mercy game, I was holding on tightly, and I wanted to make him pay. I, I was not going to give mercy because I thought he deserved everything he had coming to him. But what the Holy Spirit spoke to me is you need to give Him what He doesn't deserve and that's forgiveness. And so only by a work of the Holy Spirit I forgave my father. I wrote Him a letter. And I told Him I forgave Him. And something happened. It was through that act of forgiveness that I, in view of God's mercy in my life that He forgave me, that I am obligated to forgive my Father. But it no longer felt like obligation, but I found myself in love with mercy. That suddenly what was happening is what I thought was so hard suddenly brought a great freedom in my life because I was no longer angry, but I could walk free. And I experienced the peace of God that passes all understanding and I still experience it to this day because I was willing to forgive. When we love mercy, in view of God's mercy, we choose to forgive others as God has forgiven us. In view of God's mercy, we choose to help people who are in places of need. And in view of God's mercy to us, we choose to live out loving kindness to others. As my father grew old, he became very, um, his health was bad and he had a feeding tube and and it was just really bad, but we learned how to be loving and kind and forgiving to Him. And I have to say, there were times where uh, where God says His mercies are new every morning, that my mercies had to be new every morning. There were times when things would come up. Holy Spirit, I give you this. I need you to help. There's some residual, there's some residue there. Would you take it? And He continues to work. And so today, I want to say to you, God has called us as recipients of His mercy to love mercy. And maybe you find yourself in a situation or in a relationship with a person that's becoming, it has become a place where, whether it's a root of bitterness, whatever it might be, that it's causing you to, you're playing the, you're playing the mercy game. And it's not helping you, it's actually holding you prisoner. It takes much more um, effort to nurse a grudge than it does to forgive. And so today that God would call you to a place where you would forgive. You're not excusing the behavior, but you're recognizing, God, you're going to take care of that. It's not my place to do. Would you bow your heads? I want to pray for you. Father, thank you for your mercies and thank you that they are new every morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a people who love mercy. And I pray that you would help us to do the things in our own life that cause us, that help us, that move us to loving mercy. And I pray for every person in this room who might be in a situation, a challenge, a relationship. that. It's actually become a barrier to loving mercy. I pray for those situations where there's forgiveness that needs to be extended. And it's just hard to do. And I pray that by a work of the Holy Spirit today. That you would break through. And you would. Where there's hardness. You would bring softness of the Holy Spirit. And that forgiveness would begin to flow in view of your mercy and your forgiveness to us. I pray that there would be health and healing and wholeness to every person in this room who is going through a situation like that or who will in the future. Father God, I ask that you have your way, that we might walk into complete or better understanding of our own spiritual maturity, our own spiritual formation. May there be a work of your Spirit that transforms us today. We want to be different when we leave this place. We want the narrative to change. I pray this over this people, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.